The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, check us out online at www.christkirk.com. All God's people said, let us rise to worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you are a royal But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Lift up your hearts. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We were a people like the Gentiles, a people far off. We were condemned criminals before a righteous judge, but you showed us mercy. Now by your choosing and your effectual calling of us, we are righteous sons and daughters. Hear us now as we gather together to worship you and to proclaim your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. In Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul tells us to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and to not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Later in the same chapter, he fills out for us what standing fast in that liberty looks like. Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. After listing the typical lust of the flesh, he gets even more specific. It looks like this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I want to call your attention this morning to the first and foundational fruit of the Spirit, which is love. In our culture today, we usually think of love in passive terms. Love is something that happens to us, something we have little control over. We fall in love. We don't decide to fall in love with someone. It just happens. But the Bible gives us a completely different definition of love In the Bible, the concept of love functions more as a verb than a noun. Love is a duty, an action we are obliged to perform. Uh, We are commanded to love God. We're commanded to love our neighbor. We're commanded to love our enemies. Now, this is hard duty when it comes down, especially to loving those closest to us, because often they're very difficult, and often... We're very selfish. But Jesus led the way. He uh, gave us an example in the cross of what love is. And he gave us his spirit to dwell in us to bear this out. Our attempts to love must stand on God's great love for us, which is completely undeserved. I recently read a very familiar passage in a different light. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, um, It says this, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. By default, when we read this, we immediately think of ourselves in Peter's shoes. Um, And this we take as an exhortation to be over-the-top gracious, gracious, which is true enough and a needed exhortation. But I believe we would be better served if we saw ourselves as the other guy, the one who needs forgiveness 70 times seven times a day. When we realize how much we are forgiven by God, uh, we are freed up to forgive others in a similar manner. This is love in action. This is God's love flowing through us This is supernatural love, and all the other fruits of the Spirit flow from this love. Seeing then that we have a high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we indeed are a sinful people. We need your help and your grace to come 
before you boldly. Give us that grace now. Open our eyes to see our own sin and confess it to you. And stop us when we look for sin in the lives of others. We know that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He knows our struggles. You invite us to come in his name, and so we do so now. And we confess our individual sins to you now in Selah. And amen. <clears throat> we ask all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. Our sermon text comes from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, it is not because you were more in number than any people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you up with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him face to face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes, and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord, your God, will keep you. The covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you. He will bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to the fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall be not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from all of you the sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew he will inflict on you, but he will lay them on, those, on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eye shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, at the very beginning we give you praise for the great work, the great deliverance that you have done for your people, where you demonstrated your great love 
your great judgment of justice, your great mercy. Father, we ask that you would fill this place, you would fill your people with your Holy Spirit, that we might see you as a holy God, that your preaching would be brought forth with boldness, that we would have a humility to see ourselves in the light of your holiness, that we would confess our sins, and that we would have a deep longing to love you and to obey you, and that it would be all glory to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, and amen. amen. So we continue our sermon series through the book of Deuteronomy with a focus on faithfulness for the next generation. Faithfulness for the next generation. And it's important to remember where Israel is at. They are on the other side of the Jordan River, on the boundary of the promised land, looking into the land that the Lord has promised to give to them. But Canaan is not only the promised land, but it is a land full of Canaanites. And these Canaanites worship all of these false gods. They have their own gods. And the Lord knows that they will be tested. The Lord knows that they will be tempted to follow and to worship these other gods of these people. Who is your God? That was a question. Who is your God? And you can imagine the Israelites responding, oh, that's easy. The Lord is our God. But soon they will cross over the Jordan and they will be tempted. They will be tested to compromise. In the last chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses gave them the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That means you don't serve those other gods. That means you don't love what they love over there. In this chapter, Moses directs Israel of what faithfulness will look like in their conquest of Canaan. And faithfulness to God means no compromise. No compromise with the nations of Canaan or their gods. Faithfulness to God means devoting these nations to complete destruction. Israel must, not, must show no mercy, give no truce, no marriage, make no covenant. Why? Because the Lord God has chosen Israel as his covenant people to be holy, to be loved, to be treasured, to be blessed above all peoples. Because Israel is chosen by God, they must not compromise the covenant with anyone or anything. And this covenant keeping or this covenant compromise, is, it's a matter of, of life and death. And as we work through, especially as we're working through Deuteronomy, we have to keep our eyes that it's not just about you and your life, but it's about your children's life, your children's children, right? God has in mind a thousand generations. And your choices not only affect your life, but the next generation, says even to a thousand generations. So this is, this is a this is a heavy passage. This is good. And I just encourage you all as we're, as we're working through this is who do you keep your eyes on as we're working through this? Right? I would encourage you to keep your eyes on the holy, holy, holy God. So in the first verses, the Lord gives direction for how Israel must con- conduct their conquest in Canaan. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you, uh, that you are entering to take possession of and clears away many nations before you, here's a list of these seven nations. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations, more numerous and mighty than yourselves. And when the Lord gives them 
over to you. Notice that it is the Lord who is the battle commander. This is what all that the Lord is doing. And you defeat them. Then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy. You shall not intermarry with them, giving, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. What God demands is drastic. Total war. God lists these seven nations and requires Israel to devote them to complete destruction. Take no prisoners. Show no mercy. Give no peace. Make no covenant. This is a bloody and hard work. The Lord requires all these people to be destroyed. Why? For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Verse 4. Because Israel's children would follow what the Canaanites follow and not serve God. And if you think about it, in some ways it would be easy for Israel, this nation who has been wandering out in the boondocks for 40 years to be able to come into this land of Canaan, this land of prosperity, this land of fortified cities and of industry and technological advancements, right? They got giants of industry, right? And you come into this, this land and you see how prosperous it is. You say, wow, I kind of want to be like these guys, right? If this is how you achieve, if you, this is how you're successful, maybe we got to be like them if we want to live here. Right? The Lord says, no, do not learn to follow them. Moses again directs in Deuteronomy chapter 20 that this specific people, that Israel must devote them to complete destruction. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 20. That they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against your God. Don't learn to worship who they worship. Don't learn to worship how they worship. Why? Because it is abominable. Right? It is, God hates it. It is evil. It is vile. So how have they worshipped? What does it say? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13. It says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving to you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of these nations. There shall not be found among you, Israel, anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Don't burn your babies. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And Leviticus adds on to this. He says there's just rampant sexuality. Men giving themselves to other men in homosexuality. Women giving themselves to animals. Bestiality. So these, these, this is what the Lord hates. Don't give yourself to them. Don't destroy your children. Because if you do, it will destroy your soul. You can imagine Moses standing and pleading. He says, men and women of Israel... Do you care about your grandchildren? Do you care about your grandbabies? Then don't give your daughters to their boys. Because then they are going to give your grandchildren to the fire. They're going to burn your grandchildren as a sweet-smelling aroma to their gods all to the glory of the gods that they worship. 
Let your righteous anger be kindled in your belly. Don't learn to be like the ones that God is going to destroy. Don't imitate them. Don't try to be like them. Because if you do, God promises in verse 4, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he would destroy you quickly. Right? Don't become like the Canaanites so that way God would not treat you like a Canaanite. This is, this is life or death. This is life and death for you. This is life and death for your children, for your grandchildren. And God requires total destruction of these specific people, but also all, all the objects of their false worship. He says, when you go in, don't leave any remnant of their worship. Burn down the altars that burn babies. Destroy the pillars. Cut down the Asherim poles. Burn the images. The question is, why can't Israel be like these other nations? Why can't Israel be like the Canaanites or the Girgashites or the Hittites? Why can't Israel be like these other nations? It's because they have already been chosen by the Lord. They've been chosen by the Lord to be a holy people, his holy people. Verse 6 says, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. And for verse 7, he says, the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. Israel can't go and give her worship to these other gods because she's taken. Israel is off the market. Israel is the Lord's. The Lord has set his love on his people, his affection on them. Out of all the people on the earth, God chose Israel as his treasured possession. And Israel is to be like her God. Israel is to be holy. And that must mean that God's people do not burn babies as an offering or practice sorcery or sensuality or bestiality or greed. Don't be like these nations. He has set his love on you and you are the treasure of the Lord. And Israel could hear that and say, oh, well, I'm the treasure of the Lord. <sighs> right? Even though Israel is the treasure of the Lord, Israel should not conclude that God chose her because she was such a treasure. Right? Israel is not loved by the Lord because she is so lovable. Right? This is not like a candle-lit dinner when a young, dreamy-eyed guy stares across from the table at a radiant lady and is just numbering all the ways that she's in the best of the world. Right? Like, ooh, your hair, your eyes, your, your laugh. Right? God, God is not fawning over the perfections of Israel. Right? He's not thinking, man, I, I am the luckiest God for scoring Israel. It's like, yes. That's not how God sees Israel, because that is not what Israel is like. Moses chucks a bucket of cold water of reality on Israel, and he says, It is not because you were more in number than of any other people that the Lord has set his love on you or chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people. Israel was not chosen because she was so choice, right? It wasn't like God looked at all, all the nations in the world and says, what's going to be the most strategic, right? Who do I want on my team? It's not like God was out on recess and everyone's out there and you're trying to choose teams, right? And the team captain, you know, the first choice is always like, that guy's going to be the best, right? I want that guy because he's going to help me. 
Like, no, no. God says, you were not the best. You weren't the mightiest. You weren't the strongest. You didn't have the population. You were the shrimp, right? You were the shrimp, and God chose you. In chapter 9, so next chapter, a couple chapters from now, Moses emphasizes that Israel's successful conquest is not based on her righteousness, right? So Israel, it's not because you were so powerful. It's not because you had so many people in you. It was not because you were so righteous that God chose you. The Lord says to Israel, Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them, the nations, out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the righteousness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations. And in case Israel still hasn't gotten it, he says it one more time. Here's a third repetition. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. It's not your righteousness, Israel. It's not your righteousness. And guess what? It's not your righteousness. Right? That is not why the Lord chose them. That is not why the Lord is bringing them in. So don't think it's because of your righteousness that God chose you. Right? All that Moses has to do to convince the people is lean into the mic and say, golden calf. Can I say that? Golden calf, Israel. Like, don't you remember how you have treated God? Like, Moses goes away for a few minutes, 40 days, comes back down, <laughs> and Israel has formed this idol that apparently brought them out of e Egypt, and they're having a national orgy. It's like, that is what your righteousness looks like, Israel. And then they go, and they grumble all the way through the wilderness. They're cowards at the promised land, and now they've just concluded their 40-year death march. It's like, no, Israel, it is not because of your righteousness that God gives you the land. It's not because of Israel's great population or military prowess or courage or righteousness. If it's not because of all those reasons, then why was Israel chosen by the Lord? Deuteronomy 7, 8 gives the answer. It is because... Adjust. Gold, golden calf, don't forget. Why? It is because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you up with a mighty hand and redeemed you from out of the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why is Israel chosen? Because the Lord has set his love on Israel, and he is faithful to keep his promises, faithful to keep his covenant promises. That's why. God loves, and God keeps his promises. And this is, this is really good news for Israel, and this is actually really good news for all of us, for all of God's people. It is good news that it's not because you are tall enough or you are strong enough, or you are obedient enough, or that you are righteous enough to merit God's election. It's not because you're so good that God chose you. And in fact, it's much worse than that. It's not like we are not merely not good enough, but we are so bad. We are total sinners. So it doesn't matter if you are a Canaanite or a Girgashite or an Israelite or a Moscovite, right? If you, if you stand before a holy, 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 
holy God. Are you righteous? Are you deserving? Are you good enough? Give me a head shake. No. What are you? You are guilty, guilty, guilty. And all deserving of his condemnation and God's just judgment. Here's the gospel. But God. But God, by his grace, has set his love on sinners. Has set his love on people who do not deserve his love. And he has established his covenant with them. And you should really know this God. That's what Moses says. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Right? You've got to know our God. You have got to know your God, for he is faithful. I mean, just think about how many times in the story of, you know, you can go back to, to Moses, you can go back to Isaac or to Jacob or to Abraham or to Adam. All the times that God could have looked at this people that he's made and said, all right, I've had it. Right? I am done with you guys. Right? And what? What is God? He is faithful again and again and again. He is faithful to them. And he keeps his covenant. And we've got to notice who he keeps his covenant with. He says that he keeps his covenant with sinners. Those who are not perfect. He keeps his covenant and hesed, which means it's loving kindness or mercy. God keeps covenant mercifully. Who are the people who need mercy? This guy, right? I'm assuming you guys. Those who sin, right? Who needs mercy? Those who mess up. Those who sin. Those who rebel. Those who are not faithful. And that is how God keeps his covenant. With loving kindness. With mercy. Again and again and again. To this stubborn, fussy, sinful people. The Lord has set his love on these sinners and it is completely by his grace. Those who, those who love him and those who keep his commandments have him, have God as their covenant God for a thousand generations. It's a long time. A thousand generations that God is planning. Yep, I'm in the long haul with this for you guys. If you look back at Matthew, the genealogy picks up how many generations are from Abraham to Jesus. Bible trivia. Anyone know? 40 or 42? Yeah, it's close enough. Gold star to Matt Meyer right there. That's why that guy's an elder, right? <laughs> 42, 40, right? It's right around there, right? 40 generations from Abraham all the way to Jesus, right? We got maybe another 2,000 years from Jesus to us. That means that we are barely cracking into triple digit numbers. Maybe we're at 100 generations. From Abraham to us. Right? What's God's promise? What's God's plan? He says, I'm going to be your covenant God for a thousand generations. But the covenant God has a response to covenant breakers. Right? Those who hate him openly. And with them, it says that God is not slack. He will repay them face to face. He promises to destroy them. Verse 11. So what kind of people should we be? What should we do? Verse 11. You shall be careful, therefore, to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Because God is this. Because God does this. Because this is who is your God. Therefore, Keep the commandment, the rules and the statutes. And notice that the, the statutes and the rules are plural, but the commandment is singular. 
Right? So Moses has a particular command in mind, a commandment, the commandment. Right? What is the greatest commandment? What is the commandment that Moses had just given to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 6? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. What do you do? What do you do? The command is that you love God with all you got. Love God with all you got. Do you love God or do you hate God? It's a big question. Do you love God? Do you hate God? And you can know by what you do, right? You can't say that you sentimentally love God deep down in your heart while you're committing adultery, right? Or you're stealing, right? We know that, like, when you're doing that, no, 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 you are not loving God. So love entails obedience. But is there something more? Is love merely rule-keeping? Is love only rule-keeping? Is love a boss or a master giving his employee or his servant a checklist of tasks that, for him to do and all of them being perfectly accomplished, right? Here you go. Here's your chore list. Get them all done. We love each other, right? Is that it? Is that it? Obedience is part of love. Right? But love is what we have seen God do to Israel. He has set his love on his beloved. Love is a father who sets his affection on his child, even before she is born. Right? Five years ago today, I set my love, well, a little bit before, on my first daughter, right? Happy birthday, Eleanor. Right? But before Eleanor was born, before she had done anything, before she had obeyed or did the dishes or not punch her brother or like do anything, I set my love on her. Right? Here's this little Eleanor in mama's belly. Walk up to her. I love you. Right? Kiss mama's baby. Kiss the baby in the belly. Right? And then she is born. And I hold her. And I delight in her. I love you. And then she grows up a little bit. And I give her my heart, my soul, my strength. And I love you. And then the love, the father, the lover says to his beloved, I love you. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a, that's a command. But that, that command, that call to love proceeds, flows from a covenant relationship. Right? It flows from your Father, your God, having set His love on you. Yes, obey the commands of God. But you are obeying the one who has loved you and has given his love to you. And the result of, of this love and of this covenant obedience, it says it's, it's a super abundance of blessings from the Lord. We just quickly look at verses 12 through 16. It says that the Lord will, will if you keep his commandments, the Lord is going to bless your socks off. He says that the Lord will love you. The Lord will bless you. And he will multiply you. And by multiply, God means babies. Right? You will have lots of babies. So we're going to get started on these 1,000 generations. There is going to be lots of babies. There will be babies from your cows. There will be babies from your sheep. And the trees, they're going to have lots of fruit. And the Lord will bless you. He says that he will remove all sickness and all disease from Egypt. And you will be blessed above all people. All of these blessings come to a people 
wholly devoted to the Lord, a wholehearted commitment. And remember, that still means no compromise. If you have a heart wholly devoted to the Lord, then you will not compromise with other gods. Final verse, he says, you shall, not, you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God has given over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. So for Israel, at this specific time in the conquest of Canaan, their obedience to God meant total war against these specific nations. That was what God said. This is obedience. That does not mean the application of this sermon is not go find some Hittites and Girgashites and declare total war on them. Not at all. God gave a specific task, a specific mission and a specific time for Israel to be the sword of justice for these people. But what is our application? What should we take away from this? For Christians, the conquest of Canaan has been replaced by the Great Commission. What does God call his people to do? It's not the conquest of Canaan, but he says it is the Great Commission. Right? Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord, and he has set his love on his people. Christians. And now he commands that his people go to all the world. Right? The new promised land is not just this little sliver in the Middle East. Right? It is all nations. Go to all people and preach the gospel to every creature. Right? No longer put them to the sword, but preach the gospel that they may repent, that they may believe, that they may be baptized and saved. And he says this to his disciples. Go out and make disciples for people who will love the Lord with all they got. And this conquest of the promised land, this great commission must begin in your own heart. It doesn't begin out there, but it begins in your own heart, with your own words, with your own might. Jesus does declare a holy war, but it's a holy war against all of your sin. Holy war against all of your sin. You must not compromise with your sin. You must show no mercy, make no allegiances to your own sin. If you've got a golden cast set up in your heart, you must smash that to the ground. Right? Look at, are there, are there Hittites, Girgashites, Canaanites in your Spotify playlist? Right? Are there songs that are an abomination to the Lord? What do you got to do? Delete. Right? What do you do? Make war against sin. Right? Give no excuse. Make no compromise against sin sin. This may be drastic, but it is a fight that you have to do. If if your smartphone causes you to sin, it is better for you to crush it on the ground. What does Jesus say? It is better that someone should pluck their eye out, cut off their right hand, go into heaven marred, but not to be thrown in hell. What is better? To go into heaven with a dumb phone and a soul that has not been compromised with pornography than to go into hell with your smartphone. Total war against sin. Do not compromise in your dating relationships with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who is not a Christian. Why? Because they would turn your heart away from the Lord. Father, that's a command given to you. Fathers, do not give your children to unbelievers. Or don't let them drift over there, right? Are you a Christian couple who is dating, right? Don't compromise on physical touch or maybe an emotional intimacy. Don't compromise on that because you got to know that the marriage bed is honorable. 
Are you in an adulterous relationship? Right? That does not need to be patched up. That needs to die and be buried and stay dead. Right? Confess your sin. Make no truce with complaining. Utterly destroy your sin. Kill your sin or it will be killing you. Destroy that or it will destroy you. Right? This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of life and death for your soul and for your kids, for your grandkids. We've got to think that all these, these big sins of the Canaanites all, be, all was the, the end result of little compromises along the way. Don't compromise. Just think about it. We're the church. And if God's own people are compromising with sin, then what hope is there for those out in the world? Right? Those who burn babies, right? those with homosexuals, right? bestiality, greed, those who are sinners, right? what hope do they have if we have made peace with their own sin? And let me tell you, it is the same hope that you have. And it's the hope of Jesus Christ who saves sinners, who demonstrated his love for you by going to the cross and dying for your sin, forgiving you, calling you to repentance. He says, make no compromise with your sin, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts to be able to know the gospel deep down into our bones so that way it would come out into our fingertips and the music that we listen to and the movies that we watch and the conversations that we have and the jokes that we tell. Lord, we do desire to be a holy people to you. And to do that, we first must know who you are, what you have done for us, the good news of the gospel, so that way we might return that love and act in obedience. Lord, we do ask that you would use us for the furtherance of your great good news to the nations. But Lord, humble us that that great commission must begin in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own lives. Pray that all of this would be to your glory, to our good. There are times, and this today may be one of them for you, when troubles come thick, and there seems to be no end, and you can't touch the bottom with your feet. But here's an encouraging word from Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my feet secure. God hears you when you cry out to him. And when you cry out, and it may seem that he doesn't hear, you say, I'm up to my waist in this bog, and I'm still sinking. When you cry out, you can know that when you're deeper and he delivers you from your trouble, he will be glorified even more and you will be delighted even more for that deliverance. The Lord is good. He is sovereign. He is God. And this means that all of your troubles are from God and they are perfect. But the fact that all of our troubles are from God and perfect does not mean that you have to pretend that they are not troubles. You don't have to pretend. They are troubles. No, they are troubles, but you are to receive them from the hand of the only wise God. And you are to seek the deliverance that is just as perfect as are your troubles. God writes perfect stories, and really good stories are full of troubles. Right? No one would take the trouble to read the Lord of the Rings if the council at, uh, at Elrond 
had determined to have the eagles fly over into Mordor and drop the ring into Mount Doom as they flew over, right? Like, have you seen that, how it should have ended? That's what they do, right? And it's good for like a 30-second chuckle, but no one's going to read three whole books of that, right? No one's going to take the trouble to read a book without any troubles. God brings you through troubles so that he might be glorified when he brings you out of them. And he is glorified when you cry out to him from the pit. And he is glorified when he takes you out of that horrible pit and sets your feet on a rock. And this right here, this table is one of the rocks that he puts in your life to give you deliverance. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do know that so many of us do have troubles, whether they're big or they're small. But I pray that even as we eat and as we drink the gift that your son has given, Lord, that you would steady our souls, that you would even direct our steps throughout this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. And amen. So if the sermon message of charge is don't compromise with sin. And the way that you do that, one of the foundational ways to prevent compromise with sin is do not compromise in your love for God. Do not compromise in your delighting in His goodness, delighting in His word, living thankfully. And in you, when you fill yourself up with the love of God, all of a sudden, so much easier to not compromise in sin. So now receive with believing heart the benedictions from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All God's people said, amen. Christ Church downtown, thanks you for listening.